Well, if we look at uh, First Thessalonians, we are looking at this, the section following on from Giles' talk last week. So it's the end of chapter two and all of chapter three. Um, Giles took us through that section, which was really um, to, to do with the, the, as he broke it down into the three sections, the message, the motive, and the manner, and bringing it into the encouraging, uh, urging, and comforting. Now, I'm going to say we're going to take it on from that, but uh, it's not we're not, move, we're not moving away from these things. We are going to be taking them with us because uh, cha chapter one and chapter two were about the uh, importance, uh, if we've been hearing, of the message that Paul gave, the importance of his lifestyle and the way he lived and the way he presented the message and the power of the message. And that carries on. That, so when I say we're moving on from that, I don't mean we're putting that away. We take it with us. Let's just read that section together then. So it's First Thessalonians chapter 2, reading from verse 17 through to chapter 3, the whole of the chapter. But brothers, when we were torn away from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan stopped us. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. Chapter 3. So when he could stand it no longer, when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and God's fellow worker, in spreading the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. You know quite well that we were destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter might have tempted you and our efforts might have been useless. But Timothy was just now, has just now come back to us and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live, since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father 
when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. A lovely section, this, uh, and there is so much teaching in it. When you're just trying to break it down, if we just take, first of all, that uh, the end section of chapter 2, uh, you're seeing here this, I could maybe classify it as uh, the presence. Is Paul looking at bodily presence and looking also at spiritual presence and then looking into the future of the togetherness? With the Lord. So he's, he's looking at the necessity as he sees it for bodily presence, but the spiritual presence that was linking them all there, and then looking forward to the togetherness in the Lord when the Lord comes back again. He says about his presence, it was a his presence when he comes. It's something that we're looking forward to, of course, is the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what this section, if you like, is particularly focusing our attention on, is the preparation for his coming and the hope of his coming. And this was something that um, whilst Paul struggled with the physicality of not being able to be in the place where he wanted to be and not being able to provide what he thought was needed. And he fretted over it all. There was this assurance that he prayed for them. His spiritual presence was with them. He was constantly uh, speaking to God the Father about them. And you see in Paul the depth of his love for those he had been given to care for. There's a lovely thought about that, about how we should conduct ourselves towards each other. It's not just a shepherd's job. It's not just a, an apostle's job. Uh, this is how we should conduct ourselves as people who are in the body of Christ, in our relationship with others in the body. And if I may say so particularly, for those who are called saints in churches of God, even more so where we have more dealings with each other in our pursuit of service for God, that bodily presence has, plays a part. Spiritual presence is absolutely necessary. And what is it that we have got in common? We are in the body of Christ. We are looking forward in hope for his coming. We are looking up and we are waiting. And together, whilst Paul couldn't come, the Lord is coming. And that's a surety. And that's a definite, Jesus will come. So even although Paul's limitations, and I'm going to talk about this in a minute, he's fretted over his limitations because he couldn't come because he says Satan stopped him. And there was a need for Paul to realize, and certainly for us as we read this years later, to be subject to God's purposes. Satan seeks to hinder 
Satan is somebody who thwarts success in God's things. He is something, he is somebody for us to fear. But in reading this, I thought it would be quite important to just put it in context um, and to consider the part that Satan plays in comparison to God. When we read in, in verse 18 there that Satan stopped us, I was, um, and in verse, actually verse five of chapter three, he, Paul talks about he was afraid that the tempter uh, would tempt them and would take them away and they would be lost spiritually and that their work would have been in vain. You see, he was fearing about this. He was fearing about the power of Satan. And that's something important. We should fear the power of Satan. But Satan is not sovereign in his tempting work. And that is something that we need to get a great, have good confidence, full confidence in. And you read in Matthew chapter four, um, just where it actually says that when it talks about the temptation of the Lord Jesus, if you remember after his baptism, you read in Matthew chapter four, verse one, that when Jesus was led by the spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry and the tempter came to him. It was God the Spirit that led God the Son to be tempted in the wilderness. I find it quite encouraging, you know, when you consider that, that this wasn't Satan being given free will to do what he likes. This was set up by God. I'm going to come back to that in a bit. Another um, thought was to think about the, the man Job, which is in a very extreme case of where Satan uh, affected that man's life. But you read about the fact that Satan had to ask God first. He had to ask permission. And God gave it. And that man had his wealth taken away from him, had his family taken away from him, had his health taken away from him. And you read in Job, Job chapter 2 that uh, he said to his wife, who had encouraged him just to curse God and die, a silly woman. Maybe I shouldn't say that. I don't know the whole circumstances. Uh, but... It was a, seems such a ridiculous thing to say, but Job, despite it all and despite all his suffering, he was able, shall we not receive good from God as well as evil? And you receive evil from God. Yes, obviously. What was the, at the end of Job's life, or the end of the, the story that we read of Job and his, 
discussions with his friends, etc. And it says that at the end of it all, when these things were restored to him, that his friends comforted him for all the evil that the Lord had brought on him. God used Satan. But the question, of course, is why? Why does God do that? What are the purposes? And when we go back to the Thessalonians here, you think, why did God allow Satan to stop Paul doing something which was, to us seems so blatantly, obviously needed that Paul would do some good there. He could go to them. He could strengthen them. He could support them. He could help them in their spiritual growth. Why wouldn't you go? Another example, of course, is Peter. When the, um, when the Lord said to Peter, you know, that Satan has asked to have you, the old sift you like wheat. But then the Lord says to him, when you return. <laughs> when, not if. It's all in the purposes of God, that God allowed Satan access to Peter. Why? Why couldn't? God sort of put cotton wool around Peter and keep him away from Satan so that these nasty things, evil things don't happen. You know, when you think about, certainly in Peter's case, you think, what were the purposes of God testing him like that? Well, you just need to read into Acts and look at the man that Peter became, would he have been the same man if he hadn't gone through that testing? Would he have been as powerful? Would he have been a great leader? Would he have been able to talk about testing? Would he have understood the power of Satan? Would he have been of use, as much use to God if he hadn't gone through that? God's purposes are something that we need to have in the forefront in our lives. Even when you come to somebody like Judas and you think that, what about Judas? Satan entered him. Peter actually spoke in Acts chapter 1, uh, verse 16, that when he was recounting it, it says that the scriptures had to be fulfilled and that the, the words of David had prophesied what Judas was going to do. And so you see, God's in overall control. His plan is obvious to him. And sometimes from our point of view, it's not until later and we look back, we see it. And when it came to the, the handing over of the Lord Jesus, that again, Peter said in Acts chapter two, that um, it was, he was handed over to the Jews by God. The Lord Jesus was handed over to the Jews by God. Why? Because it was the plan, there was a purpose and the foreknowledge of God. And of course, when we look at the, the, the work of Christ on the cross, we thank God that God handed God over to the Jews to be killed. See the purpose of God. So when we come back to Thessalonians and we come back to the question of Satan preventing 
Paul going to the Thessalonians. Why? Because of God's purposes. When we read on about they then sent Timothy because such was his love for them, his concern for them. But because of the persecution, because of Satan, uh, he sent Timothy. And the result of that was Timothy comes back with a glowing report. Nothing to worry about. These guys are strong in the Lord. And Paul is just so full, so thrilled. He's so th thankful. He wants to just pray and give thanks to God for the blessings. But you can see the reasoning then as to why Paul hadn't gone. Maybe, and this is an assumption maybe, but it, I think it's a strong one, that these people had to stand alone in their tribul tribulation, in their trials, and God was going to teach them. If Paul had been sick, gone there, he would have spoken for them. He would have done things for them. He would, they could have hidden behind them. But maybe as God's purposes were different, he wanted them to be on their own without Paul. And what was the result that when Timothy went there and he spoke with them, they were full of love. They were full of joy and so grateful for what Paul had and the others had done in teaching and bringing the gospel to them and introducing them to Christ. And so that they had given the foundation that allowed them to grow and they were building up their own relationship with God. I think in this section here is a teaching there for us that we can feed on other people. We can hide by and behind the poles of this world who will teach us and show us what is right and show us from the scriptures. But there comes a point when you have to stand on your own feet. There comes a point when if you're going to be strong, you need to find out these things for yourself. And I think this is where the Thessalonians had come to. They were now something that they had developed in their relationship with God that was strong. Paul's response and his reaction to this is, now we really live. <laughs> Again, it's the, the man is remarkable in his love, in his depth of feeling, his desire for them. Now we really live. It's an expression that's just showing what Paul's life was all about. It was all about them. Why was, it, why was he so in love with them? Why was he so concerned about them? Why was he so in their, why was, why were they so much in his thoughts? I think it's because, you know, they were precious, not just because he had been used by God and the Holy Spirit, particularly in bringing the gospel to them and nurturing them. But he saw them as people who were with him in the body of Christ. And that together there was a sense of a oneness looking for the coming of the Lord Jesus. I think the coming to the air. This Thessalonians is going to talk about the two comings, the coming to the air, and talks also about the coming to the earth. 
but this, Paul saw this all as a preparation that once you've received Christ as your saviour, once you, you have access to God, once you are alive, then your the whole purposes are as to do with the hope and love for each other and the glory of the future. And together in Christ Jesus, we rejoice together and we are one together. And he wanted to be physically with them, but spiritually with them in their and his love and expression for them towards God and focusing his attention, their attention together on his coming. Are we like that? Is that how we see our salvation as something that was like the, is the beginning, the foundation? We're growing now. And we are growing into Christ. We are growing in likeness to Christ. We're growing in knowledge of God. Now we really live. Because when Paul heard that they were alive and that they were active and that they were involved in service for the Lord and they loved the Lord and they loved the teaching that they'd had and they were going on for the Lord. Paul, full of joy and encouragement. They were encouraged by this. And they, what did they do? They gave thanks to God. They were in prayer. And then at the end of this section, you see Paul emphasizing the connection between love and holiness. Fill them with love. Is establish them in holiness. For it was a sense of making themselves ready for his coming. Ephesians 5, just want to read that with you. It's a, again a well-known section about the body of Christ, talking about, when it was referring to wives and husbands, it said that um, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her, by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. There's a sense in which this is a growing thing that we, when we get to the point, when we come to the point when the Lord comes, and we meet him, we will be holy and blameless. And at the moment, we are working our way towards that. Second Corinthians 3 and 18 tells us that we, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed, being transformed. It's an ongoing thing. Into his likeness with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We are being transformed with ever-increasing glory. And that's going to continue until we die or until the Lord comes. 
then we will be presented to him, as we've just read in Ephesians, without spot or wrinkle. That is what Paul was alluding to here. This is what he was really explaining to them. This was what he was able to say that, uh, that we would, to him, sorry, I've lost it there. <laughs> For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory? And then at the end of chapter three, may he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus Christ comes. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy. There's a responsibility for us in seeing ourselves as growing Christians. That's how Paul saw the Thessalonians. He fretted over them. He worried that Satan was going to get in there and the tempter was going to tempt them and take them away. And that's happening in our lives. Satan is tempting us and he's very successful at it. And God's allowing him. Why? Because if we can overcome it, we will be stronger. And when we are stronger, we will be more Christ-like. And when we are stronger, we will be more holy. And when we are stronger we will be more blameless, leading, increasing, growing to the point until we meet him when he comes. So I'll leave that thought with you. Uh, it's a really interesting section. There's a lot more in it than what I've been able to say. Uh, but may the Lord bless what he said. Thank you. <laughs>